Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and beaches With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw. Steps up. Floats a bomb up the right seam. Looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's the middle of the week, which means it's time for Midweek with Manish. Manish Mehta, the beat reporter covering the New York Jets for the New York Daily News. Manish, I got to take issue with you on two things before we get started this week. Two tweets that you put out. First tweet you put out was, got to feel bad for Josh Allen, who had a terrific season and has a bright future. Taking that sack was a killer and an otherwise great season for the Bills. The other one was, Josh Allen is maddeningly good. I'll give you that taking the sack was a killer, and I'll give you that the Bills had an excellent season. However, I do not have to feel bad for Josh Allen, nor do any Jets fans. I don't think he had a terrific season, and I don't think he's maddeningly good. Well, that's a lot to unpack there, Scott. So let me uh, take that last point first. Uh, I actually meant to say that Josh Allen is maddening and he's good as opposed to maddeningly good. And then uh, when I realized that 10 minutes later, I uh, decided, you know what, I'm just going to leave that tweet up there. Uh, He is an interesting player because – there's so many moments in which he makes terrific plays, and I believe I actually tweeted that after he made a, a nice third-down conversion pass uh, escaping the pocket. But uh, he does make his fair share of mistakes, and taking a sack you know, late in that game was one of them. I just think that you know he's an ascending player. 
I don't believe that he is in the same class, to be honest with you, as Sam Darnold. And Sam Darnold has a lot of growth, uh, you know, to, to do as well. But I, I think that, you know, Darnold is a much better pocket passer. He's a guy that I would prefer to have for the next decade over Josh Allen. Uh, that being said, I don't think that Josh Allen is going to wind up just being a guy in his career. I think he's going to be a quality player, a different type of player than Sam Darnold, but a guy that you can win with. And clearly the Bills proved this year that you can win with him, and we can discuss you know, how much was he involved, how much was he a passenger, uh, was, was he a driver at different points during the season. I just think that, look, this guy has a lot of skill. He made a significant jump, in my opinion, from year one to year two, and uh, there's a lot of great pieces around him, and that's why – I think the Bills are really positioned to take control of the AFC East, and I know we can talk about that later as well in terms of uh, the Patriots dynasty being over or not being over. Uh, but in terms of Allen, uh, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a really good player. I don't expect Jet fans, of course, to feel sorry for, for him uh, you know, making a couple boneheaded mistakes at the end of that playoff loss. But uh, just as a football fan, you know, I just think that uh, you know, the arrow is pointing up for him. Yeah, see, that's where you and I are going to differ, Benish, because I don't think he's a really good player. I think that he's a guy that has a ton of physical ability. Obviously, we know he's got a big arm, and we know that he is an incredible athlete for his size, and he's got great wheels for a quarterback, especially one that's six foot five and 250, 260 pounds. But he still has the same flaws that he had coming out of Wyoming. He's poor in the accuracy department, and I know that people are going to cite the jump in completion percentage, but the mistake there is that completion percentage and accuracy are not the same thing. Accuracy means getting the ball where it needs to be, when it needs to be there, and he still struggles with touch. He has none. He still struggles with overthrowing and underthrowing receivers constantly. I think that what you saw from Josh Allen this year largely was he was making, say, three or four really nice throws a game, and then beyond that, it was let's hope that the running game and the defense can win the game. It was a similar formula to what you saw with Mark Sanchez. Now, the one thing that Allen does really well that Sanchez didn't is that late in games, in short yardage situations, he has the ability to make plays with his legs, and that's awesome. But when you're a quarterback, obviously, the money is made throwing the football, and he still has a lot of work to do. There's parts of the field he doesn't even see. I said a while back that he's like a jumbo-sized version of Tyrod Taylor. In some ways, I think that's true, but I think Tyrod Taylor was much more careful with the ball. When you look at the film, you'll see a lot of throws that Josh Allen made that were very interceptable. In fact, in this playoff game specifically, there were two throws that he made that easily could have been pick sixes and weren't. And of course, there are the other mistakes, and you talked about it, taking the sack getting the intentional grounding penalty in this playoff game, and the fumbles, 16 fumbles this year. And I don't buy the people that say, well, it only counts if it's a lost fumble. Once that ball is on the ground, that ball's up for grabs. And as far as I'm concerned, that's just as bad as a turnover because from there, it's just a matter of chance. So I think he's got a long way to go. And even if you lean on the statistics, let's be honest about it. He was 25th in the league in QBR. And QBR is a statistic that heavily rewards rushing quarterbacks. So if he was only 25th there, that tells you something. I think he's one of the bottom 5 to 10 starters in the league, which is better than I expected, and it's better than a lot of people expected. But he's nowhere near 
starter where he's going to need to be to be even an average starter. And I think if the Bills are going to grab hold of this division for the long haul, he's got to make that jump to at least a league average starter. If he can be better than that, then that's even more awesome for them. But as of right now, he is one of the bottom five to ten starters in the NFL. And I think that as we saw with Mark Sanchez... In 2009 and 2010, as it went past that, he never progressed, and so the Jets started to fall off a cliff. Now, to be fair, they didn't surround him with very good talent either, and the Bills, I think, are probably in much better hands with Bean and McDermott than they were with Tannenbaum and Rex Ryan at the time, but still... If he doesn't ascend to at least a league average starter level, the Bills are going to have some problems in the long haul. I think they've built a really nice roster, but I think that Josh Allen is still a long way away from being anything that you would consider a franchise quarterback or even a league average quarterback. <laughs> How do you really feel, Scott? <laughs> Look, I, I disagree with so much of what you just said. That I don't believe that Josh Allen is a bottom five quarterback. Uh, you know, I think we should have a separate podcast at some point in the offseason rating the 32 quarterbacks because I don't think there's you know, 26, 27 quarterbacks better than him. Uh, I will agree with you that there's uh, a ton of room for growth. That, that is really not disputable. Uh, but a guy who in his second season gets 29 total touchdowns, to me, isn't one of the bottom handful of quarterbacks in the league, and I understand what you're saying about accuracy versus completion percentage. Uh, that being said, I don't think you can discount the fact that his completion percentage did jump by six percentage points. That is a feather in his cap. That's not the end-all, be-all. Uh, I'll also disagree with you and uh, say that he is, you know, not really like Mark Sanchez was in his first two seasons because, you know, that Jet offensive line uh, was. You know, arguably the best offensive line in football, specifically in, in run blocking. And uh, oh, that Jet offense was all run all the time, ground and pound. You you know all this. Jet fans know all this. Uh, I don't believe that the Bills are constructed in the exact same way. Uh, they're clearly not an aired-out offense. But uh, I have a lot of faith in Brian Dayball. I thought he did a really nice job in tailoring this offense to Josh Allen's strengths. And again, he has he meaning Dayball has a, a room for improvement as well. But uh, you know, just how he constructed this offense and the play calling really helped Allen take that next step. He didn't make a gargantuan leap, uh, but he clearly made a more significant leap in year from year one to year two than, for example, Sam Darnold did. Uh, and you talked about you know fumbles versus fumbles lost. To you, a fumble uh, is a damaging statistic. Uh, just by itself, regardless of who covers the ball, because as you said, you know that ball's up for grabs and anybody can get it. Well, uh, you know, take away the playoff game, just in a, in the regular season, uh, Josh Allen effectively played 15 games and two drives in the last in the last game of the season. So let's just say, for argument's sake, he played 15 games. He had 14 fumbles. Sam Darnold played fewer games, 13 games, and he had uh, 13 fumbles. So both of those guys have uh, you know a, a lot of room for growth. But I'm not killing Sam Donald for that, uh, and I and be, I don't want to be consistent. I'm not going to kill Josh Allen for uh, for that as well. It's clearly an area that needs to be improved. But I think that is a an area that can be improved. To me, ball security is something that can get better with experience and time, and, and just you know, just to use another example, Daniel Jones is a is a guy who's had some ball security issues. I'm not overly concerned with that because I think that's correctable. 
and I think it's correctable for Josh Allen. I think it's correctable for Sam Darnold, really any of these young quarterbacks. But I do think there's a lot of promise and a lot of growth from this guy. Uh, I do think that he's nowhere close to hitting his ceiling. I don't know if he'll ever hit his ceiling, but he's trending in the right direction. He's only two years into his career, and uh, to see the improvement from year one to year two is very encouraging. And I'm not a, look, I'm not a Bills fan. I'm not a Jets fan. I'm just looking at this objectively, and I think that with all the surrounding pieces, the coaching and the players on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball, uh, you know, if, if I'm a Bills fan, I'm very happy with Josh Allen. I know what his shortcomings are at this point, but he's only 23 years old. He's two years into his career, and he has shown me that he can improve. So he needs to improve in year three as well. So uh, if you were a 28-, 29-year-old player, I think I would agree with you more about a lot of the things that you said. But because he's so young and because we've seen the improvement uh, at this early stage in his career, uh, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to be encouraged by what he can be moving forward, just like I am encouraged by what Sam Darnold can be moving forward, despite the fact that both of these guys' statistics really, they don't jump off the page. I think the difference is when you watch the film, you see so many more throws from Sam Darnold that are big boy NFL throws on a week-in, week-out basis, throws on the run, throws in a tight window, so on and so forth. I think with Josh Allen, the problem is because the expectations were so low for a lot of people based on the draft projections, because remember, there was a big fight in the draft community going into the draft that year. Everybody knew what Josh Allen's ceiling was, but the argument was, is he worth a really high pick because of all these flaws that he has as a passer? I think that because he hasn't flat out embarrassed himself, so many people think that he's better than he actually has been. But if you actually watch the film, and I was talking about this before, a ton of interceptable passes. Like I said, during that playoff game alone, we saw two passes that easily could have and should have been pick sixes. And if you go through the tape, you see plenty of that. I think he wasn't asked to do a lot the same way that Mark Sanchez wasn't in 2009 and in 2010. And I think that Mark Sanchez had plenty of moments too. Look, we could talk about the playoff heroics with Sanchez, but he had a lot of big comeback wins too, especially in 2010 against the Browns, against the Texans, against the Lions. He had his moments, but the problem was he was just completely inconsistent and he had a lot of deficiencies as a passer that he never fixed. Now, I'll give you that Josh Allen has a much higher ceiling than Sanchez ever did just based on his physical ability, but he still has all the same flaws that he had coming out of Wyoming that he hasn't fixed. And I think that he was largely the product, as Sanchez was, of a superior roster. And I know that the Jets had a better offensive line than the Bills, but the Bills have a pretty good offensive line. I think Devin Singletary proved that he's a pretty good running back. Allen's wheels are a big factor here, and I do think that that's one thing that he has over Mark Sanchez is that late in games, in short yardage situations, his ability to run with the ball is a big thing. But I think that in a lot of ways, Josh Allen may end up becoming this year's Mitchell Trubisky. We're going to see. He's either going to be Mitchell Trubisky or he's going to rise above that and he's going to reach the next level and become a league average quarterback or better than that. If he doesn't, I think the Bills are going to be in trouble over the long haul. If he does, then I agree with you and I think that the Bills can really snatch that division away because it looks like Manish, the Patriot dynasty may very well be over. Now, I wouldn't put anything past Bill Belichick because who knows what his next move is going to be. It's starting to look like Brady is going to leave the Patriots if he continues to play, which he says that he probably will continue to play. 
if he goes somewhere else, they're going to need a new quarterback. Now, Brady wasn't Brady, but I think we can both agree that he's not exactly completely shot. I think there are people that are acting like he was Peyton Manning the year that Peyton Manning won his last Super Bowl where he was throwing ducks all over the field. I don't think this was a Tom Brady season, but I do think he's still got some football left in him that can be pretty good if he goes to the right situation. So this is really interesting now, Manish, because if Brady leaves, the AFC East is seemingly up for grabs. Yeah, uh, I think it's up for grabs because I think he's leaving, and if he doesn't leave, I don't think he's uh, able to elevate uh, players around him uh, like he has been for the last you know, two decades. Uh, I think he hit the nail on the head. He's not where Peyton Manning was in Peyton's last season. He was clearly Peyton, that is, shot at the, the end of his career. Uh, he, he, you know, he retired at the exact right time because uh, he just couldn't do it anymore. Whereas I do think that Tom Brady can still play at an effective level. I just don't think you're going to see him elevate uh, marginal players or subpar players to you know a quality level like he had been for the better part of his career. Uh, obviously, he had that stretch where he had Randy Moss and Wes Welker, and then uh, you know he had a, a Hall of Fame tight end in Rob Gronkowski. But you know, for the large portion of his career, he was elevating uh, guys who were you know average players uh, and taking them to a different level. Uh, Tom Brady cannot do that anymore. He's 42. He's going to be 43 this summer. Uh, he needs to have a much better supporting cast than uh, the Patriots are going to be able to get for him in the offseason if he does indeed decide to return and re-sign with the Patriots. Uh, if he decides to go somewhere else, uh, I can't imagine he's going to go to any place that he doesn't believe has a realistic chance to win the Super Bowl. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know what he's thinking in terms of relocating his family. He's got you know children that live with him. He's got a son that lives in New York. So... I think if he was going to go anywhere, uh, uh, you know, that's far, quote-unquote, far away from the Northeast, it would probably be Los Angeles. I believe his wife would not object to living there. So the Chargers become, uh, you know, a possibility. Uh, and I also think that it, it'll matter where Josh McDaniels ends up. Uh, you know, as of this taping, there's only two job openings left, the Cleveland Browns and the New York Giants. If McDaniels gets one of those jobs... Uh, I think it, that'll make the decision perhaps a little bit easier for Tom Brady to, to leave New England. Um, you know, that remains to be seen. Maybe Josh McDaniels doesn't take one of those uh, two jobs and maybe it's not even offered. I don't know. And he returns to the Patriots. Uh, perhaps that would make it easier for Tom Brady to return. But uh, whether Brady comes back or not, whether McDaniels comes back or not, obviously I think if both of you guys are gone, it's a no-brainer that the Patriots are toast. Uh, but I think that they're not going to win this division even if Tom Brady comes back in 2020. Uh, you know, they've dominated for such a long time. We all know the statistics. It's ridiculous, frankly, how much better they have been than the other three teams combined. But I think there's a real opening here. I think there's a real vacuum. I'm not of the of the belief anymore that, uh, you know, the Jets or the Bills or the Dolphins should be uh, concerned about, uh, you know, not having ever truly beaten – the Patriots. Yeah, you know, the Jets beat the Patriots a couple times, but I'm talking about uh, having one of those teams in the division actually topple the Patriots. It's, it's more of a function of uh, perhaps the offensive coordinator leaving and it's a function of the quarterback getting older uh, than it is of one of these three teams in the division actually being better and toppling uh, the Patriots and, and ending the reign that way. I don't think it really matters. I think the bottom line is that 
the Patriots, I think, are out of their way. Uh, and when I look at these three teams, you know, Bills, Jets, and, and Dolphins, I, I think the I think the Bills are best positioned. And look, there's promise for the other two teams, but the Bills, first and foremost, are going to have the most continuity. They have they have a few amount of free agents. It's not a situation like the Jets, who have 20 plus impending free agents. They've got the quarterback. Uh, we can debate how, how good Josh Allen will or will not be, but they believe that they have a young quarterback in place. They've got an offensive line. They've got a terrific defense. They've got the culture set by uh, who I think is a really good head coach and Sean McDermott. Uh, I've already talked about the offensive play caller and Brian Dayball. Uh, Leslie Frazier has done a really nice job with that defense. So I think that they are best positioned to take over uh, and maybe not obviously take over to the degree that the Patriots took over. But if you're looking for a team that can you know, take control of this division in 2020, it, it's the Bills. I mean, look at the money that they have. They're going to have nearly $89 million in salary cap space, which is the third most in in the NFL projected. They've got nine picks in the draft. Now there's only four in the first four rounds, so it's it's backloaded. But uh, I think uh, you know all those reasons I just outlined makes Buffalo, uh, I think, the, the team to beat in this division entering next season. Uh, you know, the Jets, I think they have a quarterback. I've, I've been on record saying that they have a quarterback, but they've got a lot of free agents. Uh, there is a really big question mark about whether Sam Darnold has the right coach uh, to to take him to, to the next level to unleash his uh, you know his skill set. The Jets, you know, on paper have 58 million dollars in salary cap space. In reality, they have closer to uh, 80 80 to 85 million in salary cap space when they make these obvious projected cuts with some of their veterans. Um, you know, they've got four picks in in the premium round, so four picks in the first three rounds. But uh, you know, I think the Dolphins are actually better positioned from a draft perspective because they've got five picks in the first 50, 56 picks. So they've got five picks, I think, in the first two rounds. Yeah, they have three uh, first-round picks at 5-18, and then at the back end, depending on how the Texans finish, they've got two second-round picks, uh, and they have an early third-round pick. So you're talking about six picks in the top 70 to really flip their roster. The big question for them, of course, is quarterback. It's a huge question. Who's the long-term answer at quarterback? And that's why I don't think – that they're at the top of my list in terms of who can take over for the Patriots. That's why I have the Bills at one. Uh, there's just a lot of unknowns with the Dolphins. There's a lot of unknowns with the Jets, starting with the head coach. So uh, it'll be fascinating to see uh, you know, the AFC East over the next several years. But I think entering 2020, given all the dynamics at play, uh, and if you're being objective about it, I think the, best, the, the Bills are in the best position to win this division next year. I think the Bills are best position right now. What happens in the offseason could tilt that a little bit because, as you said, the Dolphins have a ton of draft capital. Assuming that they go and draft Tua to be the quarterback, that could be something that really sways things. Plus, obviously, if they hit on other draft picks in the offseason, they could be trending upward. The Jets are another one. As you said, we both believe in Sam Darnold. If Joe Douglas can go out in free agency and in the draft and really rebuild that offensive line, give Sam Darnold some extra weapons. The Jets could be dangerous over the next couple of years. There are a lot of question marks, though. I think the Bills are the team with the least amount of question marks. I think their biggest question mark, and this is where you and I disagree, obviously, is at the quarterback position, but I think they've done a really good job of finding the right coach, finding a good general manager, building out the roster well. So it's going to be interesting in the AFC East over the next couple of years if Tom Brady indeed does leave the New England Patriots. I'm also curious to see, as I said, 
who the successor ends up being, whether it's somebody that they bring in just as a bridge quarterback, whether they give Jared Steidem a shot, whether they go with a rookie that they pick unexpectedly because they've got a pick this year that's higher than most years. They're picking 22nd, so maybe they get somebody like Justin Herbert if he falls, if that's somebody they like. So it's a fascinating story that'll play out over the next couple of years. I'm also very curious to see if Brady leaves the Patriots, where he ends up going. You mentioned the Chargers. If he goes to the Chargers, where does Phillip Rivers go? If he doesn't go to the Chargers, what team does he go to? You mentioned Josh McDaniels. Obviously, he's not coming to the Giants if Josh McDaniels goes to the Giants because they've got Daniel Jones, and what would Tom Brady do? We know that Gettleman picked Daniel Jones, and so that's his guy, but if Josh McDaniels goes to the Browns and he has more say and more control and he's able to bring in his own front office people, that opens up a fascinating possibility. Does he go in there kind of the way that he did with the Denver Broncos, if you remember, Manish? They had Jay Cutler, who was a Pro Bowl quarterback at the time, and his plan was to trade Jay Cutler and get Matt Castle. He failed at getting Castle. The whole thing blew up with Cutler. They ended up having to trade him to the Chicago Bears. But could it be a possibility? I know it sounds crazy that McDaniels gets the job, brings in Tom Brady, and shops Baker Mayfield. Wow, that would be interesting. Now, I, I will say this. I think Josh McDaniels learned a lot. Uh, from his first go-around as a head coach. Uh, you mentioned Jay Cutler. He also got rid of uh, uh, Brandon Marshall. Uh, so he, arguably you can make a case that he got rid of their, their two best players. Uh, I think he learned a lot from his first stint. So I don't know if there's going to be that kind of upheaval. I'm not sure if uh, ownership would uh, would sign off on that, but uh, that would be fascinating if he got the Brown job. Now, look, the Brown job is a dream job for Josh McDaniels. He's from Ohio. His dad's a legendary coach there. Uh you know, he loves it there. If he's going to leave the New England area, he has a lot of children. And, they, and my understanding is that, you know, he's very comfortable where he is right now. But if he was going to leave to a different part of the country, going back home uh, to Ohio would be the place. So I think it's fair to say that uh, the Browns would be a dream job for Josh McDaniels. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's talk about the other coaching vacancies that were opened up this offseason and who filled them. So far as we tape this, the Giants and Browns have not hired anybody, although it looks like McDaniels is going to go to one of those two. If he wants to, the option to stay in New England is there clearly, and we saw that he had taken the Colts job a couple of years ago and then changed his mind at the last second. The job ended up going to Frank Reich, and McDaniels went back to New England. So who knows? Maybe there's some sort of handshake agreement there with him and Bob Kraft. We're going to find out very soon. But 
as far as the other openings go, we saw a stunner in Dallas. A lot of people were talking about Mike McCarthy going to a variety of different places. I didn't hear any buzz about McCarthy going to Dallas. That's interesting because everybody knows that Jerry Jones loves to meddle. Mike McCarthy's somebody with a lot of cachet. He had 13 years in the league as a head coach, has a Super Bowl victory. You would imagine that he's not going to want to be a puppet the way that somebody like Jason Garrett was. And so that could be an interesting marriage. I will say... I was very against the Jets hiring Mike McCarthy last year. I still wouldn't have wanted them to do it if they had an opening this year, but I was encouraged by the fact that McCarthy apparently has decided that he did make a lot of mistakes in Green Bay and he did have a lot to learn to modernize his approach and started bringing in people to help him do that. So I think that that shows personal growth and maybe now he'll be a better coach than he could have been if he had been hired right away after being fired by the Packers. Ron Rivera to the Redskins is an interesting one. I don't think he's a great coach, but I think he's what they need right now. They need a stabilizing force for a franchise that has just been a complete mess. Getting Bruce Allen out of there was huge. Getting somebody like Rivera in there who is at least an established commodity and who is known to be a pretty solid CEO type. I think that's something that steers the Redskins in the right direction. The question now, Manish, of course, is how much Daniel Snyder is Daniel Snyder going to be? If he stays out of this, then maybe this starts to turn around. If he starts to do what he normally does, then that's where they're going to get into some trouble. And then the other big one, Manish, as we're recording this, it just came out that Matt Rule is not going to interview with the Giants. Instead, he's going to the Carolina Panthers. So I guess Matt Rule just really wanted to go to the NFL because he had no reason to leave Baylor if he didn't want to. Making really good money, built that program up real nice. He would have had tons of offers over the next couple of years, you'd have to imagine. We know that he turned down the Jets last year because they tried to pick his staff. And the year before that, when the Colts hired Frank Reich, he made a very strong impression on management, particularly Chris Ballard. So you know that if he impressed Chris Ballard, a lot of people took notice because Chris Ballard is widely regarded as one of the best general managers in the league. Clearly, Rule had interest in going to the NFL, and it was more than just interest. He really wanted into the league, and now he gets in with the Carolina Panthers. So I got to tell you, Manish, among other things, I'm very relieved that he didn't go to the Giants because that would have been a nightmare for me, watching Matt Rule take the Giants to Super Bowls or something. I'm not saying that it was going to happen, but if it did, you know Jets fans' mentality. We always think the worst is going to happen, so... What do you think about what's gone on so far? We talked about McDaniels. What do you think about what happened with McCarthy going to Dallas, Rivera to the Redskins, and now Matt Rule to Carolina? Well, the Matt Rule one uh, was an interesting decision because I almost kind of felt like he was destined to go to the Giants. Uh, you know, he's a New York guy. I know, you know he, he has a tie with the Giants because he was an assistant line coach uh, for the Giants uh, under Coughlin. I think it's more about him being in, from this area and the Giants, you know, looking for somebody really different than Pat Shermer. And when I say really different, I mean someone who can be a true leader and galvanize an entire room. If that is Matt Rule's strength. He's not uh, the hot coordinator. You know, he's got experience coaching both sides of the ball, but uh, he's a program builder. He's a, you know, he's a true leader. Uh, and that is, uh, you know, where, where he is enticing. Uh, and and that's why he was in great demand and and you know as you said he was very impressive a couple of years ago in an interview with the Colts uh, he was very impressive with the Jets last year frankly and uh, you know and there's been a lot of discussion about well the Jets wanted to pick his staff that's not actually 
entirely accurate. Uh, the reality is that Matt will, and I'm, I'm, I have no reason to think otherwise now, uh, now that he's got the Carolina job, but Matt will always believed that, hey, I might only get one chance to be an NFL head coach, and if that is the case, I want to come into the league with the people that I believe in, uh, the staff that I believe in. And the sticking point with the Jets was offensive coordinator. Matt Rule wanted to hire Sean Ryan, who was a Texans assistant coach at the time. Uh, he, he spent this past season as the Lions uh, quarterback coach, I believe, working with Matthew Stafford. Uh, but the Jets did not want Sean Ryan to be the offensive coordinator for Sam Darnold because they felt that after one season, Matt Rule would realize that Sean Ryan was not the, the right guy and he would have to hire another offensive coordinator. So that, in effect, would mean three different play callers for Sam Darnold in his first three seasons. So that's what the Jets were concerned about. Uh, I don't believe they really had any significant issues with anybody else uh, that Matt Rule wanted to bring aboard on his staff. It was the offensive coordinator because they wanted to build everything around Sam Darnold, and they wanted to make sure that the offensive play caller spot was going to be the right guy for Sam Darnold. They did not believe that Sean Ryan would be that guy. Matt Rule respectfully disagreed and uh, opted to, you know, to, to go in, in a different direction, back to Baylor. So it wasn't a situation where the Jets were saying, well, we want you to hire A, B, and C. It wasn't really like that. It was more like, hey, you know what? This particular position, offensive coordinator slash play caller, play caller specifically, is so critical to this franchise at this moment that we have to all be in agreement that the guy that becomes Sam Darnold's play caller in 2020 is a guy that we all agree on and that we can all feel good about moving forward. Matt Rule felt good about Sean Ryan. Uh, the Jets did not, and that's why they parted ways. So, uh, you know, it wasn't exactly how it was portrayed a year ago, uh, but the sticking point specifically was Sean Ryan. So I'll be fascinated to find out if, if Sean Ryan is the guy that uh, Matt Rule brings aboard uh, as his play caller uh, in Carolina or whether he's got somebody else now, you know, I, I don't know that. But that was really the sticking point. Uh, uh, but the people I talk to around the league, current general managers uh, who have no stake in the game and have interacted with uh, Matt Rule and scouts who have interacted with Matt Rule, you know, guys who have gone in, into uh, Temple to scout players, guys who have gone into Baylor to scout players, uh, they've got nothing but unbelievable things to say about Matt Rule. I, I cannot find a guy who doesn't believe that Matt Rule has a really good chance to be a, a quality head coach at the NFL level. So, uh, you know, I think you share the sentiment of many Jet fans, <laughs> which is it would have been painful, potentially painful, I should say, to have Matt Rule in your building coaching the other team and watching the Giants find success with Matt Rule when you had an opportunity to hire him. So, you know, that's off the table. He's in the NFC. Jets probably won't really care about what Matt Rule does with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, but it, it is fascinating to me, you know, you know how that kind of unfolded last year. I'll be interested to see who he brings along as the offensive coordinator, even who he brings along on the other side of the ball as a D.C. as well. Uh, as far as the other positions are, go are concerned, yeah, Mike McCarthy surprised me. I really did. Uh, you know, as you mentioned you know, there's been a push out there over the last uh, you know, several weeks trying to remake Mike McCarthy. You know, he's learned from his his year off ostensibly. 
and, and I truly hope that's that's accurate. I, I truly hope that he has learned from some of his shortcomings because you're never too old to learn, no matter how how much success you've had in the league, uh, no matter uh, you know whether you're a Super Bowl champion like Mike McCarthy is or not. Uh, you're never too old to evolve and to grow. So uh, you know, based on the stories that have been out there, he has done that. But the proof is in the pudding, right? We can say that in uh, early January and late December that. He's learned and he's embraced a lot of stuff that he maybe didn't embrace toward the tail end of his time in Green Bay. But we're really not going to know if that's true until it's nut cutting time, right? Until it's game time when the games when the games are, are counting in Dallas and there's crucial moments. And does he revert back to what he did in Green Bay? Does he change his ways? Uh, you know, that's that's TBD. But uh, but yeah, that that did surprise me. Uh, it, it appears that McCarthy wants to keep Kellen Moore aboard. Uh, he was their play caller last year. I don't know if if Moore stayed, whether he would just be the OC or whether he'd actually be the play caller or whether McCarthy, whose background obviously is as an offensive play caller, whether he would be in charge of that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. He hired Mike Nolan, who spent the past few years with New Orleans, to be his defensive coordinator. So it's going to be you know a completely different look on defense as well. And uh, you know I don't have to tell you or Jet fans that the NFC East is ripe for the taking because it was a terrible division, uh, division that the, the Jets feasted on this season. So, uh, you know, it, it'll be interesting also to see the McCarthy-Jerry Jones dynamic because Jason Garrett was, you know, he was fine letting Jerry Jones do what Jerry Jones does, which is have his weekly radio show and, you know, uh, really be the, the face of the franchise, which is unusual. You know, usually your head coach is the face of the franchise, not the owner slash de facto GM, even though Stephen Jones is really the DGM. But, uh, you know, it, it's an unusual dynamic in Dallas. So, uh, obviously, Mike McCarthy is, is fine with that. And, uh, you know, they've got a lot of great pieces in place. Quarterback, if they, re- if they re-sign the Amari Cooper, they obviously have the superstar running back. They have a really good defense. The linebackers are terrific. So there's a lot of pieces in place for Dallas to, you know, get back to the playoffs. Uh, you know, in terms of Washington, you know, Ron Rivera, was such a quick hire, and I agree with you. They needed uh, a stabilizer, you know, a leader type of uh, presence you know, in that franchise. What I think is interesting is that there is no GM right now, and I don't know if, if they have designs on getting a general manager before the draft or not, but if they don't, it's really going to be Ron Rivera's show. You know, With Bruce Allen now out as the team president, uh, they don't have anyone in that, in that GM spot. And, and again, I haven't heard anything about whether that's going to be filled sometime soon or if that's going to be something that gets taken care of after the draft because if it gets taken care of after the draft it's a a really unique situation where you got the head coach you know picking the players uh, in the draft it's and in free agency so you know an unusual situation it's an unusual franchise of course uh, and, uh, I, I give credit to, to Rivera for hiring Jack Del Rio, Del Rio as their you know defensive coordinator he's an experienced guy solid guy I think they're in good hands there. So, you know, all that's left as of right now, Giants and Browns. And, you know, we talked about McDaniels really wanting that Browns job. We'll see if that actually happens. And uh, I'll be interested to see who Dave Gettleman hires. You know, because, again, I thought that it was going to be Matt Rule, and Matt Rule did not even interview with them. So, uh, you know, who do they bring in? Uh, who are the options? A coordinator? Uh, could they possibly bring in Jason Garrett? That, that, would, uh, <laughs> that would be interesting, to say the least. I think that would be an uninspiring hire. But, uh, you know, Dave Gettleman, you know, really uh, has to get this right. Because if he doesn't get it right, he'll be gone in two years. And I think that's obvious. 
Uh, you know, some people thought he should have been gone when uh, they fired the head coach uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. You know, I'm not one of those people. I thought they should have retained uh, Gettleman because I think he's done enough good things, but he really has to nail this hire. And uh, you know, I'll be fascinated to see who he brings in because, to be honest with you, Scott, when I think of Dave Gettleman and what would be a good Dave Gettleman hire, I actually do think that Jason Garrett fits those parameters. <laughs> I'm curious to see what Dave Gettleman's bagel guy thinks, because obviously if he thinks it's a good move to hire a certain coach, then that would be what you would want to go with. Referring, of course, to that story where Dave Gettleman was asked about the pick of Daniel Jones and how everybody universally seemed to pan the pick. And he said, that's not true. My bagel guy said it was a great pick while I was buying bagels in the morning. So I think if the bagel guy approves of whoever he hires, then that'll be the right guy. I agree with you, though. Jason Garrett totally fits the profile of somebody that he would hire. I thought for sure that the Giants were going to make a strong pitch for Ron Rivera because of the connection between Gettleman and Rivera. But instead, he ends up going to the Redskins. That'll be interesting to watch for the reason that you said, Manish, because Rivera will have complete control until they figure out who the general manager is going to be. And to be honest, I would assume that Rivera probably took the job with the idea that he was going to have a major hand in picking the general manager. So it, in a lot of ways, will be Rivera's show anyway, I would think. As far as McCarthy, I'm curious to see what he ends up doing with Dak Prescott. Everybody knows that Dak Prescott's been a bit of a divisive character as a quarterback in the sense that there's a lot of argument as to how good he actually is. A lot of people say that he's average and he's being lifted by a supporting cast. There are others that say he's a legitimate top 10 quarterback. I want to see what McCarthy can get out of him. And that's when we'll find out if McCarthy really learned anything from his one year away is what he does with Dak Prescott. If they re-sign Dak Prescott, though, I assume that that is what's going to happen. As far as Matt Rule goes... I came away from the coaching search last year being very impressed with two candidates in particular, Todd Monken and Matt Rule. Those were the two guys that I really liked, and I dug in really deep on all of them. I spoke with people that covered all of these guys and had a ton of information on their tenure as head coaches in a variety of different places, and in Monken's case, talked about his time as an offensive coordinator with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but also as a head coach at Southern Miss. And then with Matt Rule, it wasn't just Baylor. It was where he was before that at Temple. I spoke to two people that covered those teams, and I came away from that believing that he is a great program builder, somebody that is a leader of men, as we like to say, and I thought he would have been a really nice fit for the Jets. Now, the one downside is if you had somebody like Monken, you would say, okay, his offense is here, and so you don't have to worry about losing an assistant and then going and having to find somebody else to run the offense. You've got Monken's offense. With Rule, the worry would have been for me, even if they would have brought in somebody like Todd Monken to run the offense, let's say you do that, Monken has a really good year with Darnold, and the next year he gets a head coaching job, and you've got to find somebody else to run the offense. Now, obviously, it sounds like from what you're saying, their concern was different. It wasn't that they were afraid they would get somebody who would be too good and then would leave. It was they were afraid that Rule was going to get somebody who was inexperienced, it wouldn't work out, and then they would have to start from scratch. I think it's interesting because if you really break it down, there's a good chance that that would have happened one way or another if that guy didn't work out because 
if he didn't work out, then you would have had a situation where you would have had to get somebody else. But if he had listened to Mike McCagnan and taken his recommendation, there's a very real chance that if Monken or whoever else would have been the offensive coordinator who is an experienced guy would have taken the job, he would have had head coaching opportunities coming up in 2020. So either way, it could have been an interesting situation for the Jets if they'd have hired Matt Rule. We will never know, but I do think the Panthers did a good job of bringing him in. Obviously, you never know if a college head coach is going to be able to be successful at the NFL level. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But I think that all signs point to Matt Rule being a really strong candidate to make this work as a college head coach transitioning into the NFL. We'll see. It's going to, a lot of it depend on the staff that he puts together. And we're going to find out if Mike McCagney was right to be concerned or if he wasn't right. Because now Rule, I assume, is going to have the opportunity to pick his staff. And like you said, we'll see if Sean Ryan is one of those guys. One last thing on the coaching search I want to ask you about, Manish, before we move on to actual Jets news, because we're talking about Jets adjacent news right now. But there is one Jets item that I want to talk about with you that you wrote about in the Daily News. Before we get to that, though this Jason Garrett situation is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen everybody sort of assumed he was fired there was no word you didn't hear anything and then all of a sudden oh hey Mike McCarthy's hired bye bye Jason Garrett out of nowhere it was the weirdest thing they just left him hanging for an entire week have you ever seen anything like this before uh, no, it was odd. Uh, now, I have to believe that there was an understanding between Jerry Jones and Jason Garrett that uh, he was not going to be back as the head coach. The idea of not announcing it, however, was really odd. I, I don't quite understand the benefit. You know, all that does is uh, hurt Jason Garrett's opportunities to get an interview. Now, look, he is going to get an interview, I believe, with the Giants. So, uh, you know, it doesn't hurt him in that one respect, but could he have been interviewed uh, by some of these other teams. Now, there weren't that many teams left, so you can say you know, how much damage did it really do for Jason to Jason Garrett, but I just thought the, the dynamic was odd. I thought the, the reporting, the day-to-day reporting, was very strange. It just seemed like a lot of filler. Uh, you know, I had a friend of mine joke that you know, Jason Garrett's been fired like five different times in the last five days. It was a fait accompli. I think that everybody understood that he was not going to be back However, because the team didn't announce it, there was a lot of reporting about, well, you know, they're still having discussions. They've, they've talked now three times. Uh, I believe there was one report that Jason Garrett was trying to talk Jay, uh, Jerry Jones out of firing him. You know, just a lot of white noise when the reality was that they were moving on. You talked about you know, they had already interviewed Mike McCarthy. They interviewed Marvin Lewis as well. Uh, there's a reason why Mike McCarthy was uh, hired what, half a day after Jason Garrett was officially fired? Uh, it's just very odd. You know, I don't know the, the rationale behind not announcing it, but uh, when you don't announce it, all it does is uh, create this opportunity for stories to come out about, uh, you know, well, he's not really going to get fired. He might be fired. Stay tuned. He's trying to talk himself into keeping the job. Uh, when the reality was that he was never coming back. I think we understood that. So, you know, who breaks the story, who gets the quote-unquote final scoop. I mean, fans don't care about that. I'm not even a fan. I'm a reporter, and I don't care about that. It was obvious that this man was not returning. And so that's why I thought that, uh, you know, the Cowboys mishandled this. And again, I don't know the motivation behind it, but not announcing it just created all this unnecessary drama. Uh, And I don't remember quite a, a situation quite like this 
at least in the in in the recent past. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now you wanna get mixed up in the family business? Introducing the Godfather at ChapaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Manish, last order of business. You wrote about Jamal Adams in the New York Daily News and that you think the Jets should extend him and pay him right now. Now, let's set the table here. Jamal Adams still has two years left on his rookie deal, so the Jets theoretically don't have to pay him. They've got time. Plus, obviously, there's always the option of franchise tagging him in two years if they can't come to a long-term agreement. But you believe that they should take care of this now. Why? Well, I'll, I'll answer that by asking you a question. Uh, who was the best player on the New York Jets? Oh, Jamal Adams, there's no question about it. Okay, who's making the most money on the New York Jets in 2020? Is it Tremaine Johnson? All right, well, I'm not, I, I don't know if that's Tremaine Johnson. I didn't even include Tremaine Johnson as somebody who's on the <laughs> roster. Who, who, who's going to be making the most money who's actually, on the, who's actually realistically going to be on the team? I think it's C.J. Mosley. Let's just say it's, let's say it's, I don't know the exact number, if it's, if it's a million apart or not, but, uh, you know, the average per year, CJ Mosley's making, I think, 17 million. And when you include his roster bonus and his base salary, he's making 16 million. Yeah, so CJ Mosley is the guy you're paying the most. So Jamal Adams, you admit, is your best player. CJ Mosley is making the most money at, uh, 16 million. So should Jamal Adams make three and a half million next year, which is what he's scheduled to earn on his rookie contract? If you're Joe Douglas, and look, this is Joe Douglas and Christopher and Woody Johnson. Uh, they're going to you know, fork the money over, so Woody's going to uh, green light the money. And uh, Joe Douglas obviously has to go to Christopher Johnson, who will go to Woody Johnson, uh, to determine whether you know, they can, if they want to do this, and they want to you know, fork over the money. You've got a lot of cap space, as, you know, as I mentioned earlier, effectively 80, you know, $85 million, somewhere in that area. So cap space is not a big deal. You can manipulate cap space a million different ways. So it really comes down to cash. I mean, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about ownership, willing to put the cash up front, uh, you know, put in escrow. Do they have the cash? Do they want to put that cash toward a player who's already under contract? Uh, Are they going to be laying out a lot of cash for impending free agent or for free agents, I should say? Uh, Those are questions that need to be asked. Uh, Jamal Adams is clearly the best player on the team. He's not only the best player on defense, he's the best player on the team. He is clearly the number one leader. They have more than one leader, but he is clearly uh, you know, their most prominent leader. Uh, he's a guy that people follow uh, specifically on defense. You know, He's a young ascending player. And yes, technically you have control of him for four more years, really, right? I mean, you're talking about 2020, he's scheduled to make about $3.5 million when you include his roster bonus and, and salary. Uh, you've got a fifth-year option 
in 2021. You got a franchise tag in 2022. You can franchise them again if you want in 2023. So technically, you don't have to do anything. If you're the Jets, you can say, hey, look, you're under contract. You're going to play under contract. And if I'm Jamal Adams, I will say you're not going to reward me for what I've done to this point in my career, uh, specifically to what have you done for me lately uh, business. What has Jamal Adams done for the Jets lately? He has played better than he's ever had lately, right? So uh, you don't want to pay me? You want me to go on this $3.5 million? Okay, well, then trade me because I'm not going to play. I am not. I mean, it's a business. This is not about loyalty toward the fan base or the organization. He has clearly outplayed his contract. He is clearly the best player on this football team, and he's a young player. So it's not. A, it was a fluke. This is not an Andre Roberts type of situation in which you you're an all pro in two different spots, but you know you're a you know journeyman guy who the team doesn't believe can duplicate that type of success. Clearly, the Jets don't believe that. They do believe that Jamal Adams is going to get better. So if I'm Jamal Adams, it's cut and dried for me. And it's, it, 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 hey, this is business. It's nothing personal. But I'm the best player in your team, and I'm making $3.5 million. The guy you're paying the most this year is making $16 million. I'm getting more than $16 million a year. You're paying me more than $16 million a year. If you're not, trade me. That To me, it's cut and dried. That That's how he needs to handle this. That's how his representation needs to handle it. Because if they don't and they come to some kind of middle ground agreement with a lot of window dressing in a deal, he's going to get screwed. And, you know, not screwed uh, compared to you or me, because he's going to have more money than you and I can ever imagine. But, you know, relatively speaking, he's going to get screwed. He should be the highest paid safety in the National Football League. If the Jets are not willing to pay that, then they should try to trade him. Uh, you know, it's it's great, and I respect Joe Douglas for, for saying a lot of good things about Jamal Adams publicly. I totally get that. Uh but to me, how much do you value a player isn't measured in what you say about the player. It's in how much you pay the player. And it's time to pay the guy. And, you know, I don't throw that around. I know that, like, former players always say, pay the man, pay the man. It sounds great. It's a catchy phrase. And, you know, I don't say that that often. But for Jamal Adams, I'm saying that because if you look at this team, you look at his skill set, his age, what he offers to this team, what he has proven that he can be for this team, uh, he has to be the highest paid safety in the National Football League. And if the Jets are not willing to go to that 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 the stratosphere, then they should try to find the best deal to trade him because uh, it would be ridiculous, frankly, if he or his representation allowed him to play in 2020 at $3.5 million. And that that's ridiculous. And when you look at the safety market – uh, I don't know what's going to happen with the Redskins, but Landon Collins is scheduled to earn $16 million. That's the high water mark for safeties in 2020. Uh, LaMarcus Joyner is going to get about $13 million in cash next year. We just saw Eddie Jackson, uh, who's a different type of player. He plays safety, but he's you know more of a, a guy who plays away from the line of scrimmage versus you know in the box at the line of scrimmage like Jamal does. He just signed a deal. I don't have the particulars other than it was a four-year, $58 million deal that had $33 million in guarantees. I don't know what type of guarantees, but you know, that's the number that's initially out there. Uh, his average, Jackson, that is, is 14.6 per year. Average is meaningless. You know, if you talk to anybody smart in the NFL, average per year, that sounds great. You know, agents will love that. They'll throw that out there. But if I'm a player, if I'm Jamal Adams in this particular case, I don't care. I don't care what the average is. It could be the average could come in a little less. 
the bottom line is what's the money in his pocket? What's the guarantee at signing? And if I, frankly, if I'm Jamal Adams, I sign a three-year deal. He's young enough. When you sign a three-year deal, you're still in your prime when this contract is up. Uh, so that's how I would handle it. Uh, the Jets say all the right things. The general manager specifically has said all of the right things when it comes to Jamal Adams, and that's great. And I got a lot of respect for Joe Douglas you know, for saying all that kind of stuff. But the price is, I mean, the, the proof is in the pudding. How much are you going to pay him? How much real money are you going to pay him? And if you're not willing to pay him, if I'm Jamal Adams, I don't even think about playing for the Jets at $3.5 million in 2020. Here's what I'll say. I was all on board with trading him after all that stuff went down at the trade deadline because I felt like Jamal Adams is an excellent player, but is he a game-changing player? Is he a guy that's really going to alter the course of a game? And at that point, I didn't think he was. I thought he was excellent. I thought he was really good in coverage. He's really good all over the place in terms of being in the box, even outside of the box. We saw him covering tight ends and doing a really good job. He gave Gronk a lot of trouble. And so I thought, okay, if they get a good enough offer, trade them. I don't know if I'd want to pay them a ton of money. And if you can get these draft picks to completely rebuild the offensive line, which they desperately need to do, that might be a better use of assets. But then after the trade deadline happened, he had a couple of rough games. And then I was really on board with trading him until... After the debacle in Miami when things started to turn around, and I think that Greg Williams really unlocked the height of his potential because what we saw Jamal Adams turn into down the stretch of the season was an absolute all-encompassing beast. He more or less looked like the reincarnation of Troy Palomalu all over the field doing everything, rushing the passer, covering guys, making tackles, Everything you could ever want from a player on the defensive side of the ball, he was doing it. I think that you could make a reasonable case that he's the best safety in the league, certainly the best strong safety. And now that Greg Williams has figured out how to use him as this all-encompassing weapon that can just terrorize the opposing offense... I think that he's shown that he's worth more than your typical safety and it would absolutely be worth paying him. Now, I also think that the reason to pay him now is because the price is only going to go up if you wait. You see this all the time. You take care of your players early and it works out for you in the long run. Look at Robbie Anderson, for example. I still maintain that Mike McCagney made a mistake by not locking him up to a contract extension at the end of last season because now he's going to be the hottest free agent at the wide receiver position and he's going to get a lot more money than the Jets would have had to pay him if they had taken care of him at the end of last year. So I think if the Jets sign Jamal Adams now, A, they lock in their best player, B, they get this guy who's a true difference maker on the defense, even at a position that you don't normally think of as having true difference makers. And of course, the third thing is, in the long run, I think you end up saving money, plus the cap is going to go up too. So I think all the way around, you're correct, they should take care of him early. And from Jamal's standpoint, I'm with you. I don't know what he's thinking in terms of whether or not he wants to stay or doesn't want to stay, but if he wants to stay, that doesn't mean that he should be willing to take a low ball offer. I'm not saying he necessarily has to get the most amount per year, but in terms of guaranteed money, if I were him, I wouldn't sign unless I got a huge guaranteed sum in that contract. So a few days ago, I spoke to two front office executives on other teams, uh, one general manager and one player personnel director. Uh, the GM is from a very successful team. He asked me one question. Who do you need to account for on the Jets if you're an opponent? I started talking about Sam Darnold, and he cut me off. He knows my affinity for Darnold. <laughs> and he said, no, really, no. what's the one player that you need to account for? 
And I said, well, obviously Jamal Adams. And he said, that's it. That's, that's really the starting point. Jamal Adams is a game changer. It does not matter uh, what position he's labeled at. Because this one general manager said he's not a safety. You know, he's a, some kind of hybrid of a safety, pass rusher, linebacker. Uh, it doesn't matter what he's listed on in the program. The bottom line is that he affects games. He, he changes games. As you said, uh, Scott, uh, you know, you saw that in the back half of this season. And uh, then you have to ask yourself, if you're the Jets, how much do you pay for a game changer on defense? Uh, he's not a quarterback, so he's not going to get quarterback money. Uh, the player personnel director told me flat out, if I'm Jamal Adams, I'm going for $20 million a year. And that sounds outrageous, right, on the surface, $20 million a year for safety. And I don't know where it's going to settle, but I do know that he should be the highest-paid player, uh, even though he's not technically a safety. Uh, he should be the highest-paid safety. That means north of $16 million. That means, to me, 17 to $20 million. We'll see what the guarantee is. Obviously, it depends on how, how many years the contract is for. But uh, you know, people around the league respect this player immensely. And because of the fact that he's a young player and he is a dynamic player, regardless of you know, what he's listed as, he is a guy that you need to take care of and you need to pay. You don't let players like that walk out of the building because he's not only an incredibly effective player on the field in terms of production, he's a leader. He's a galvanizer. Guys like that are in short supply around the league. They're definitely in short supply in this organization. So, uh, you know, again, it's not personal. If you're Jamal Adams, you make it clear. Look, you got to, you know, I want to be paid what I'm worth, and I'm clearly worth north of $16 million, somewhere probably in the 17 to 20 a year. Uh, you know, we can hash out the guarantees, but uh, if the Jets are not willing to do that, and I'm, and I'm Jamal Adams, I'm not playing for him. It, it's pretty cut and dried. I think that it would be in everybody's best interest on the Jets' side of the ledger to get Jamal Adams locked up. I think for Jamal Adams, if he wants to stay, then it's in his interest to get locked up early because then he'll get his money quicker. Of course, that's where this all comes down. If Jamal Adams wants to stay, we should find that out soon because I do think that Joe Douglas is a smart general manager and he's going to look to lock up Jamal Adams long term. I'm not sure if it's going to get done, but I just have a hunch that that's going to happen. I have to break in here, though, Manish, before we run. One last story that just broke. We were talking about the Giants and how they were one of the last openings left. Well, that is no longer the case. They have hired Joe Judge, who is a wide receiver coach and special teams coordinator for the Patriots. And I just reached out upon hearing the news to buddies of mine who cover the Patriots pretty closely. And the word I'm getting from them, and again, this is just from them, this doesn't necessarily mean anything, is that the Patriots had bad wide receiver play, which we know, and good special teams. So just on that face, it's kind of dubious. But I would say that the wide receivers in New England weren't that great. And I also heard from another one, I don't really know specifically that much about what Joe Judge actually does. So this is a weird hire. And on top of this, it comes on the heels of the news of Ian Rappaport from NFL Network reporting that before Matt Rule signed his six-year deal with the Carolina Panthers, he gave the Giants the opportunity to match. They declined and hired Judge instead. So this story took a crazy turn that I don't think anybody expected. All the names that we heard throughout the process, we heard Mike 
Mike McCarthy was one of the front runners. We even heard Jason Garrett's name thrown in there a little bit. We heard Matt Rule quite a bit. We heard Josh McDaniels. And in the end, it's Joe Judge, the wide receiver coach and special teams coordinator. I can't really hammer this higher because I don't know enough about Joe Judge to say anything. The only thing I can say is this makes for some really fun opportunities for media headlines like here comes a judge and Judge Joe Brown is in town because obviously Joe Judge, Judge Joe Brown, the TV judge. There are a lot of chances for media in New York to have fun with the headline on this. But I don't really have any strong Joe Judge take because I don't know much about him. The people I'm reaching out to to ask about him don't really know that much about him. It's just a bizarre hire that seems to have come out of nowhere. Yeah, you don't want to pass judgment, no pun intended, <laughs> on this hire because it is an outside-the-box move by Dave Gettleman. Now, uh, it's not unprecedented because clearly we've seen a special teams coordinator be successful as a head coach in Baltimore with John Harbaugh. And you know, technically, Joe Judge is the wide receivers coach and special teams coordinator. Now, he assumed the wide receivers uh, coach label after Chad O'Shea left last offseason to become the Miami Dolphins offensive coordinator. Now, O'Shea has since been fired, so I would probably uh, you know, anticipate – well, I shouldn't anticipate anything, but, uh, but that, that vacancy with O'Shea going to Miami – uh, allowed Joe Judge to get more responsibility uh, with Bill Belichick's staff, and uh, you're right. Like you know, the the wide receivers for the Patriots weren't particularly good. I don't know if that's a function of coaching or uh, just a lack of talent. But uh, this is a guy who has been with the Patriots for the past eight years. He's won three Super Bowls. Uh, their special teams, uh, you know, is solid by and large. Uh, uh, you know, it's hard for me to you know dissect how good or bad the special teams actually is, but you know, you know they're they're pretty solid. They clearly were, were good this season, uh, outside of their their kicker issues. But uh, you know, it, it's what's interesting about the dynamics of this is that uh, Dave Gettleman never got an opportunity to uh, interview Matt Rule, and Matt Rule actually has a seven-year contract, which is unbelievable. But a seven-year contract with the Panthers, I can't imagine that the Giants were ever considering uh, giving Matt Rule uh, a seven-year deal or any coach a seven-year deal. So uh, I understand why Matt Rule decided to you know, take the Carolina deal uh, instead of interviewing with the Giants. But the Giants, look, they interviewed five five people, Chris Richard, uh, Eric Bieniemy, Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator with the Ravens, uh, Mike McCarthy, and uh, and Joe Judge. And, and obviously Gettleman felt that Judge had the leadership traits to uh, – to be the right guy for his team because Judge is going to have to hire play callers. He's going to have to hire an offensive play caller. He's going to have to hire a defensive play caller. So his leadership traits must have been so impressive uh, in order to land this job. Uh, uh, the other element at play was that evidently Joe Judge was uh, given the opportunity to take over the head coaching job at his alma mater, Mississippi State, uh, the place where he played and coached uh, after playing uh, about uh, about 13, 14 years ago, so uh, perhaps Dave Gettleman felt like he, you know, he had to kind of fast track Joe Douglas, uh, sorry Joe Judge, because of the opportunity that Judge had. I, you know, I, I don't know. It's premature to to you know to really uh, to know what you know what happened, but uh, reportedly Judge did have another opportunity to become a head coach at the college level. Uh, I'll, I'll, it'll be fascinating to see what kind of staff he brings aboard because Joe Judge is a person that is well-respected, at least inside 
that Patriot community because if you remember uh, when uh, Josh McDaniels initially agreed to become the Colts head coach, Joe Judge was one of those people that McDaniels was going to bring with him aboard to be a part of his staff in Indianapolis. And then when when McDaniels backed out, Judge also backed out, went back to New England. Uh, you know, it's an outside the box uh, decision. As you said, you know, it's hard to cast aspersions on Joe Judge when there's just not that much out there in terms of how good of a coach is he, really. You know, Bill Belichick likes to keep things under wraps with his staff uh, anyway. So, you know, I think you'd be hard-pressed, uh, you know, as, as you just mentioned a moment ago, that people who are around the team uh, day-to-day really know how good of a coach he actually is. So he obviously did a really good job in the interview process. He he surely has leadership traits because, again, he's not going to be a play caller unless he decides to become a play caller for the first time at the NFL level when he really hasn't been, uh, you know, to this point. I'd imagine he'd have to get a you know an OC and a DC to help him aboard, and and that's really ultimately going to determine how good of a coach he's he's going to be, because you're only good as, as your staff. Uh, the leadership qualities are incredibly important. Things I think that a lot of people take for granted. I know that I certainly did a year ago when the Jets were looking for their head coach. Uh, I, I didn't give you know the leadership element uh, of all of this its its proper due, uh, but uh, but clearly that's a you know, an invaluable uh, part of this entire equation. So uh, I've never heard Joe Judge speak. I don't even know what he sounds like. But uh, but it's an interesting decision, to say the least. And it's a decision that Dave Gettleman's going to, you know, live and die with. Because if this doesn't work out, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Dave Gettleman's going to be fired uh, in a couple years. So he put, he's putting his eggs in Joe, Judge's, his, Joe Judge's basket and, putting his eggs in the Patriots' basket, frankly, because, again, this is a guy who's been with New England for the last eight years, and uh, you know he's certainly been around a lot of winners. He's been a part of winning. The big question now becomes, can he be the guy in charge of winning? I'll say this much, Manish. I am perplexed by this hire, but that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that it came out of nowhere, and we don't really know enough about this guy to properly, and again, I'm not trying to do this to be funny, judge him. I think that if you go back and look at the reactions in 2008 when John Harbaugh was hired as the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, a lot of people were confused by that because Harbaugh was a special teams coordinator primarily the same way that Joe Judge was in New England. And remember, at the time, the reason that they ended up hiring John Harbaugh is because their number one candidate, who they offered the job to, decided not to come aboard, decided to stay where he was at the time as an assistant and receive a lucrative raise to be an offensive coordinator and an assistant head coach. That, of course, was Jason Garrett, so it comes full circle. Also, they hired him over hiring Rex Ryan, who the following year got hired by the Jets. It was a very peculiar decision to hire a special teams coordinator, but it worked out. John Harbaugh has turned out to be one of the best head coaches in the league, and as you said about Joe Judge, not a play caller. John Harbaugh wasn't either, but what John Harbaugh turned out to be was a strong program builder, a really successful CEO type, a guy who knows how to manage staff, manage players, and understands the role of the head coach. And so maybe Joe Judge becomes that guy for the New York Giants, or maybe this ends up being something we laugh at a couple of years from now. Really hard to tell, but definitely... An interesting hire, if nothing else, by the New York Giants hiring Joe Judge. So that means that as we finish recording this, Manish, there's only one job left. That is the Cleveland Browns. 
I think that Josh McDaniels is going to end up as the Browns head coach, but we're going to find out over the next couple of days. But I will say this, now the Browns have no reason to rush because there's no more competition. So at least that's good from their perspective. Manish, thanks so much for coming on. As always, really appreciate it. What do you got cooking in the New York Daily News coming up? I know you wrote that article about Jamal Adams, but there's not a ton of Jets news going on. You got anything cooking that we should know about? Uh, I think I'll take a closer look at the injuries. Uh, we, you and I have spoken about that in the last couple of weeks. Uh, 20 guys going on IR. I just want to delve a little bit deeper into you know, who actually got hurt and when and uh, whether this is a significant issue or something that was more of a, you know, uh, a creation than a reality. Make sure you're reading Manish in the Daily News and following him on Twitter. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.